G'day Dees fans, it's your man Stuba. And the Crows. We're here with the Dees Outsiders coming to episode six. After a really devastating loss with uh, Fremantle, um, we did pick, or well, one of us did pick that this was going to be the case. So um, that, that was you, Stuba. It might have been a small-ish total. Because of the conditions on the ground, I would say it was close to a 30-point loss if it was under good conditions. And if we allowed them to play that game under good conditions, it would have been a massive loss. So I don't think it was reflective of how the game was put out through what we're going to go through today. Just briefly, so we have Cruz is going to have his notes on the game. We're going to go into Craig Jennings had an interview on SEN, which was broken down in an ESPN article of his takes on it. Um, Some great pickups from Gary Lyon, which add to that. Our look at the uh, Simon Goodwin post-match conference and his words there and how they might reflect back to some previous comments we might have heard a few years ago. Uh, The Gary Kurt interview on the debrief, we'll give our thoughts on that and make sure you stick around because we have some very different takeaways and I think some of his words were misrepresented and then a quick preview into the Giants. But we might start with your notes, Cruz. Take it away. Well done, Stuba, and uh, kudos to you for predicting the, uh, the the loss against Fremantle. I think uh, not many people thought that we'd uh, lose to the Dockers. Um, so uh, props to you for for being negative, Nancy, as you referred to yourself as the other week. Um, uh, for those that are listening, before I do sort of give a snapshot of the uh, my takeaways from the game, Stu was without power. Uh, midway through the game last week. And I think a lot of, well, myself and a lot of other Melbourne fans are probably jealous that our power didn't go out because it was uh, a nightmare to watch it all unfold. But look, in terms of analysing the game, as soon as I saw that many changes were taking place when the, when the season was on the line, for seven changes to take place was just too much. Introducing players that haven't played all season um, and, you know, leaving out the likes of Hannon and Spargo, guys that have played a bulk of the year and guys that are match fit and they've proven clever forwards um, as well. And introducing someone like Proust to play uh, as as a permanent full forward in wet conditions, a big man as he is, and just the, the lack of stability. So when you're dropping senior players and that kind of stuff, it just really hurts players trying to find out their role. So I think it was just really concerning when Goodwin was panicking by making those changes. And look, the Brayshaw and the Harms ones, they're injuries, so they were forced, but it was just too much disruption in terms of selection. So that was a bad start. I noticed that there was no forward structure whatsoever I think you alluded to the, this last week, Stu, in that, that the selection was always going to be difficult to provide defensive pressure. When you play Proust, when you play Melksham, when, although he played higher up the ground this week, when you play guys that don't put that defensive pressure on or you, you play guys for the first time this year, whether it be Bedford and Oscar Baker and um, these players that are, are not familiar with with the the level late late this late in the season like they've played at the level and they might be, become good players it's a tough ask for them to come in to the to this when they're 16 minute quarters and it's dewy and wet to go along with that 
um, in in such a pivotal game in the context of our season. And look, the part season of, was on the line again. Part of it, um, part of what didn't help them with that forward setup was on top of all the factors if you already mentioned, they played Fritch um, as an extra behind the ball. And what people might not have noticed is they also played Tomlinson from the wing <laughs> behind the ball. So um, you yeah. might have noticed that there was a constantly uh, three or sometimes four Fremantle Dockers to per every one to two Ds up forward, which makes it incredibly hard. Precisely. And I think the, the, the frustrating part is that the season was on the line against two bottom four teams and we just couldn't find a way to win. I think the positives were the, the performances of Young Rivers. He looks like he'll be a very good player for the football club. Bailey, I, I thought, did quite well um, across the, the ground, starting up forward, then moving... Uh, sorry, starting down back, then moving higher up and um, through the midfield. I thought Petrarca um, was our best midfielder and almost got us back into the game late, late stages. Um, Vai tried hard was very physical uh, all game. Um, and I thought Tomlinson played a really good negating role on Jesse Hogan for the most part. And look, I, I think Malksham playing a nullifying role on Fife also did the job. Fife didn't have um, a massive influence, only had the 20 possessions. So I think they were the sort of individual positives. Langdon played re- uh, really well and racked up a lot of ball on the wing. So it's certainly not an effort thing. The players gave it their all and you have to be proud from the, for the players for throwing the kitchen sink at, at Sydney in that last quarter and also Fremantle in that last quarter. Um, but when you're restricted and we'll go into how they were restricted to show that the players are not so much to, to blame for this. But in terms of just the general stats from what I saw, the disposal efficiency was much higher for Fremantle. Um, their uncontested possessions, the differential was was around the 100 mark in shortened quarters when you're playing a bottom four team in wet conditions for it to be that that much of a disparity is 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 a huge concern and even the free Fremantle led and dominated the tackles and where the contested physical team um the midfield sorry and Fremantle handedly uh smashed us in the tackles um the inside 50s they they smashed us I think the only key stat that we did win for the day was the clearances so um, but we just couldn't gain any sort of momentum kicking the ball inside 50 and locking it in there. And it was, it was yeah, it was just, just baffling. It's just one of those nights which is baffling. So you're like, why, why are we out of sync? Because you have a midfield group who was dominating in the aspect of getting the ball out, but they weren't on the same page with the game plan. They were playing wet weather footy where they would get it on the boot as quickly as possible and, get a hacked kicks as much as much as possible, just get forward momentum. But we weren't set up for that because we had two behind the ball. So every time we kicked it up, there were two extra players behind the ball for Fremantle. And because they had all the extra players, it's like a training drill where they just found the extra man all the way down the field um, and were able to get easy access inside Fort 50, which is something similar we've seen to the Sydney game, the Geelong game, um, all these other games where we've played where We've just been out of sync and it's, it was really weird, exactly what you were stating and adding to that, we, you picked out that the guy to cover for Fremantle, rightly so, was Sun Sun. And to have him kick three goals when he's the guy who was going to make or break the game, um, similar to how we said Luke Parker last week, nullifying their key guys in the, in the Sydney midfield was really important this week. It was 
taking away their outside players. It was Chera, it was Brayshaw, it was um, Sun Sun. If you don't take and Fife, if you don't take those guys out, then you're going to have a tough day. We took Fife out for the majority, yep. but Sunny was the difference. Three goals. He was. Three goals in a low-scoring game. Didn't have a huge um, impact as far as possessions go, but he kicked three goals as a match winner. But like you said, Shera, um had uh, a breakout game and he looks like he'll be a player for the future. But that's, I think, all we can sort of delve into um, about... And- what and what happened there is I think I was similar to Chris where it took us a few days because we we're just baffled. We we're just like, what what on earth is happening? How could it be that an inexperienced coach with no time to actually train his team in his game plan has been able to pick apart our team that's more veteran, got more talent across the field, and he's had four years in charge to get his message through. So it was interesting to receive uh, an article from the ESPN, which was covering an SEN interview with a former assistant who were pretty upset that we've lost him now that he's coming out with these sort of articles. Is uh, <laughs> Craig Jennings. And it's not sour grapes, by the way. It's not sour grapes. He's just a very methodical, strategic football mind. It's not because he left the football club that he's raising all this. He's just using his... Um, strength and, and um, influence as a football strategic mind that um, it's coming to the fore, isn't it? It's his gift from he, him to us. Here I was and here Chris was and a lot of the Melbourne faithful saying, what on earth is going on? And I know we had changed our game plan, but to hear stuff from inside, to hear explanations of how this all came about and, and what happened, it was really, really uh, interesting. So please have a look at that article. But we'll give you a brief breakdown. What they basically went through is we had a horrendous start, as we all know, to um, 2019. We had the three losses to Port, Geelong and Essendon. And what happened is Goodwin and the coaching team, I guess, made the drastic decision to completely change our game style. So we went from being a dominating contested football clearance, time and forward half, um, get as many inside 50s, um, quick play on uh, team to a, a structure which is play behind the ball, be very controlling with the ball, high marks, short kicks, slow ball movement, um, high defensive, which is very, very taxing mentally to put in. He put in a very difficult game style in what Jennings called it. It took a long time for the players to get across and he still sees that the players are not fully adapted to the game style because it's A, difficult, and B, we don't have the right list for this game style he's looking for because if you want a controlling... What what I was describing is basically Hawthorne or West Coast Eagles where they have a lot of precision ball users in their team. (laughs) You wouldn't... If you were going to describe the Ds, you wouldn't describe the list as, as that which kind of explains a lot of what's happening. So he broke down a bit of the Freo game where he said what should have happened is after five minutes when the rain started coming down, instantly have a man-on-man situation, bring your players from behind the ball, bring them up forward, create pressure, get the ball on the ground and make sure you just get territory. Because if we had played the game that we were playing and the midfields did exactly what they were doing in the game, but we had even numbers across the ground with our contested brute force style of players, we should have absolutely smashed Frio. And we probably would have. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, well done, Steve. What, one thing I'll add to that is that it's he thinks that um, the game style has directly impacted the players, so he he still thinks that there's a lot of confusion. It's not it's helped it's hampered the development. So he said a lot of the players have gone backwards because it's not if the game style is not suited to the list. It's hurting their confidence. So because they're thinking too much, that's affecting their um, skill execution because they're not able to play on instinct, which, as you would know, is playing at a high level. You really need to... The game's so fast that you need to be on instinct. And if you're thinking too much and you're under pressure, that's where you're going to have even more mistakes than you would commonly. So really interesting that we've gone from a team that was high scoring, high contest, uh, brute force to uh, completely flip the switch to a defensive structure. Yeah, I, I, I just just a, a very quick snapshot. I also enjoyed reading that article, and I think the keys, the game plan for this particular playing group or list, is not capable of executing what what Goodwin is asking for these players. And you pretty much nailed it all on the head in terms of wanting the players to to execute on a game style where you need great pinpoint ball users. And not only do we have, uh, I wouldn't say we, we don't have any, we have them, but we don't utilize them for that game plan. Like Salem, for instance, doesn't get a many handball receives like he should. If you're going to play a game style like that, you need to be giving it to the likes of Salem and these other guys at all these um, opportunities around the clearance and around the stoppages, which they're not doing. And it's at the... Um... If, you, if you're going to do that sort of game style, it's that selection. So you have all your exactly. ball users and you bring them into the team. So Benel is probably one of our best ball users. And it, you might have a balance where you have some more pressure players, but you have a Benel who is a superior skilled player in the team. Exactly. If you're looking at, so, if you're looking at uh, big Ruckman as a second player on the ground, he's not as well skilled. So again... Joel Smith not as well skilled so he's more athletic so it's really interesting how he's putting his team together it's like a mix of both and I guess that's what we're seeing where it's really confusing and I'm sure it's confusing for the players yeah and just my other takeaways from that was obviously the inability for the 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 current playing group to play to their strengths and that has resulted in their their development being stymied so I think he also alluded to the fact that that they were on the right track with Ruse in his final year. And we almost saw the start of that in 2018. And um, it seems like something else has happened in uh, the time between the, the sort of off season 2018 and um, right through to 19 and now 20. So I think the article was very impressive and it's hard to disagree with anything that uh, Craig Jennings mentioned. Brilliant. And that segues into post-match um, Gary Lyon and I disagree with most things he says because he, he might be I loved him as a player but um, some of his comments and he's not the most analytical mind in the world he points out the obvious a little bit and he came he likes to jump to where the wherever the winds are blowing but um, mm. he did have a really good comment and this follows through with what Jennings was saying a lot of our players they try to win individually and one of the things that Goodwin's obviously instilled in our players is when the going gets tough, it's up to each individual to do their bit to lift. The problem with that is the teams we're facing, they say, let's lift as a team. And they keep a, they keep a really good structure. Instead, when the going gets tough, 
all of our inside mids get drawn into the ball like beast the honeypot and it leaves us completely open because they're all so tightly confined they're quickly tackled and so we get rush kicks it's just goes from bad to worse and so you might see these heroic efforts from Viney extracting it or Oliver and stuff like that but it's all for naught because we we've got all Australians in our team or former all Australians in the team and mm. they're just putting so much effort in it and it's going to waste because it's not as part of a team structure no yeah, and I think that, that on, on, on the couch, I think it was where Jared Healy spoke about the individual talent and highlighted all the individuals that are sort of current or uh, past all Australians, highlighted the A-graders. And then Gary Lyon said it wasn't so much an effort thing. It was that they were, in fact, players were trying hard. You could see that uh, in, in the third and fourth quarter when we were throwing the kitchen sink at free. They were trying really hard, but as you said, it wasn't smarter and it wasn't for the benefit of the collective so that's not so much an execution thing that's certainly there's a confusion between what the players understand their roles to be confusion miscommunication between the coaching to the playing group and obviously the selection which is another obvious one but and the one thing that kind of carries both together is we finally saw urgency in that third like mainly that fourth quarter and Jennings picked this up he said when they finally decided to roll the dice and this happened a few times it happened in Sydney as well we rolled the dice we threw um, extra men in front of the ball we finally looked like we wanted to win the game the players played with urgency and that's where you see coaching has a huge influence on performance and it's not just the players unlike the NBA where LeBron can just turn it on whenever he feels if you play a play in the back line um, an extra behind the ball who's having no influence that impacts um, your team greatly but throwing him on the other side and acting like you want to win, the players respond to that. And I know from my coaching experience, if you try things and you act with urgency, your players will follow. Uh, and Tim Watson, I, I think he's another guy who is not the brightest mind in the world, but he said that during the week. The play group reflects you as a coach. And if you don't have urgency and you don't, if you play ultra defensive and you're not wanting to attack, which is kind of contrary to the list where we're, it's to, it's a list that's made to be aggressive and attacking, but we're not doing that. And that's why we're mm. not seeing the best of our players. Do you want to touch on the uh, post-match conference um, and Simon Goodwin's comp- comments there? Yeah, look, I, I will. He mentioned um, something about this. Did, I think he might have even mentioned the club broadly. Now, I could be wrong there. I, I'm not sure if he strictly put it on the players or did no, he, he said everyone um yeah. coaches players everyone at the club and he referred to ruthlessness now and and gary lyon obviously highlighted the fact that we've been here in this for a long time and we both read the article uh, that was released today that back in 2017 um he also referred to the fact that we need to be more ruthless so i think for three years with three years on now we've got players in the prime of their footy careers. I, I, I don't think that's going to cut it anymore. We need to start seeing uh, problems being hit on the head and resolved um, instead of just saying that we need to be more ruthless and not giving us solutions because it's easy to say that, you know, the heart's not in it or that the skills are not up to it or whatever the problem might be in his eyes and not give us solutions. So unless three years on, four years on in the job now, 
we want to start seeing results. And if there aren't positive results, why and how can we address them? So, yeah, I, I didn't like that sort of comment. But um, the other comments I didn't like were were in this. We have this great opportunity. It's so fantastic that we have this opportunity. That's not a ruthless club. If we're a ruthless club, the aim is for premierships and it's for finals is the is not an opportunity. It's a it's a must deliverable. It's it's a failure if you don't meet it. It's not just an opportunity. So the wording of what he used, I really don't like that. I don't like speaking of this is a fantastic opportunity. No, it's not. This should be the expectation. Exactly. Um, I don't like talk of the list is middle of the pack. He seems to be changing the words and how he references the list depending on how he's going. At the start of the year, it's, it's a wonderful list and we've got, we're full of talent and now it's a, the list reflects our ladder position, which is a bit of an interesting statement. I, I also didn't like the giving up the first quarter and saying that he would take a 12 to one, 12 points to one. You're against a bottom four team, even if you're in the wind, you don't see Richmond saying, we'll accept being behind. That's, that's not a ruthless club. No. He, he needs to be strong with his words and we need to work at a game plan where losing is not, or being behind is not acceptable. That's not something which we right, lay a hat on and say, that's okay, she'll be right. That's really disappointing and I don't want to see or hear those sort of comments and it has to come from the top. If that's, if he's leading the way and he's the key person leading the football club, he has to be ruthless himself. Right. On the yeah. flip side, I don't want to hear Longmire saying, I feel like our ball movement and defence were up. Um, we had it on our terms, other than the stoppage where I thought it was a 50-50. In the second half, all we have to do is keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. And did you want to talk, Stuber, about... Choco Williams had a bit of a statement to say, and we want to touch on some comments that Alistair Clarkson had already mentioned about the team as well. So stick around for that. We might jump now into the Gary Pert interview with the debrief. Um, we'll give you a very condensed version and kind of summarise it and give you a very different take. They left a lot of these fans really concerned with their takeaways, which I don't really re- believe reflect what he was actually saying. So a quick snapshot. I'll start with the less controversial and then go to the controversial. So I loved that he... His philosophy is to empower people in the club. That's exactly what a good CEO should be doing, looking out what resource they need and getting for them. So say the football department comes to him and says, our fitness and our health is a concern. He finds the best possible guy, which is fantastic. Um, And he went out, did that and job done. So in terms of making sure he gets the best talent possible at every single position, I I really like that as as a philosophy and hopefully he can carry that out. I also liked that seeing that we're, what they've done with the balance sheet. So they have a, a good sheet this year because they've sold some, um, one of their land assets, which has given them a bit of cash flow, um, which is helping them, helping us become a non-assisted club this year. And while the soft cap's going from 9.5 million to 6.5 million, we have a little bit of flexibility to make our own choices, whereas every other club that's not assisted and we're one of the four unassisted clubs going through to next year, that means the AFL, if, you have, if you're an assisted club, the AFL gets to have a say in where you're spending money and your decision-making. 
being one of the four unassisted clubs is means that we're the only ones that get to have a free reign in saying who we hire and who we fire, which is a really important distinction. The other, the other interesting point that you brought up, which is they're in the second phase working party of getting a home base. It's definitely going to be in the uh, MCG precinct area with, uh, within a walking distance. And that's progressing well. And he said that's going to go through in the next two to three years. I'm going to hold him to that. Hopefully that comes about. And then the other bit we thought was interesting is that he bases, he and the board bases decisions across a whole department, not just one person. So if it's the football department, he bases that on health and fitness. He bases it on list management. He bases it on structure and, and skill execution the last two being kind of manipulated by the coach. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then the, the very last bit was he did not say that Goodwin's going to be the coach of the future. He said he is a key person in the football club. He's the leader right now. Yeah. And he, as they stated, he would be, um, when they signed the contract back in 2018, um, that stance has not changed. Which, sure. uh, yeah, any, any, do you want to touch on any of the initial parts or do you want to just focus on that last point? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, give you my interpretation of that. I, I, like yourself, I didn't interpret that any other way other than stating a fact. Um, but I will say this, the fact that Gary Pertney's first week of the job, um, ex- the fact that he extended Goody right through to t- 2022, my inclination is that he will support Goodwin right through to that contract. Um, so it doesn't negatively reflect on him. But I mean, that could change. Obviously, that um, might change. But my inclination is that he wants Goody to succeed because he believed in Goody and that's why he made that decision. And I was on the back of the 2018 campaign that he renewed his contract. So I, I think deep down he wants Goody to succeed. But in terms of the other elements of that interview that I sort of took away, obviously the membership is, is down um, compared to 2018. And obviously you're going to lose members based on performance. But there comes, there comes a time where you have to weigh up just how many thousand members you are losing and, and do the quick maths and multiply that by however, what, what that average cost of a membership is, because that is a huge financial blow also. I also, um, Mr. Pert referred to Goodwin as the, the first coach um, in, in 20 years to, to win a prelim final. And look, that is, again, factual, but I'd argue that 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 playing group was um, essentially still playing um, as they were under ruse, uh, a bit like what Jennings spoke about, that they were still, um, you know, playing under ruse and on the right track. So he did mention that Goody has developed players. I Look, other than Petrarch, I think a lot of players have, have not developed in a positive fashion. And when he was asked a question about what is uh, Goody's greatest quality, he said that the, the players love him and nothing to do um, with about his sort of coaching. So it was about players love for him. And that's well and good, but that's not going to give you sustained success. 
Um, and the final thing that I got from that interview was that Gary Pert also said that if players can't consistently execute a playing style, it's not sustainable. So that, there's quite a bit of merit behind that as well. In other words, that if this continues, then obviously we can't continue um, with the current coaching regime. So it was quite interesting, but that were my takeaways, Stuber. No, really interesting points there, Cruz. Yeah, we in terms of the memberships, so we're the biggest drop of any team from last year, 22.6% drop in our wow. membership. So 50 point something to 40 point something thousand. So um, yeah, that's a big drop. Um, I think that can be expected when you put so, so much high hopes and then start really poorly and not, I think he's mentioned this in the, in the interview, everyone who speaks to him, everyone talks about the suffering that we've gone through, just the pathetic performances that we've had to put up with. I like that he said that he wants to take us back to being a powerhouse. Um, back in the day when we were up until the end of the our premiership run, we were a powerhouse at the AFL and people did fear us. And that's how the demon moniker came out. It wasn't our original name, Melbourne Demons. I think it was the Fuchsias or something. We became the Demons because we played like Demons. And I think that was really telling in that respect. I think I had a different take with um, with Gary Pert. My how he said, he says things in a way which you have to read between the lines. And he, for most people, it'll be, oh, he's just um, hiding behind his words. He, he was quite transparent and it's really hard you have to take the words at face value i heard him say nothing of great support to goody similar to what you were hearing i heard the board in 2018 signed him up it was based on the decision that they the players had improved at that point the the development that he spoke about i heard in his in what he was saying was referencing back in 2018 um, he was more referencing the decision-making in terms of what they went through to re-sign that contract. It was based on the, the foresight that Goody would stay with the same um, game structure. They had no idea that he was going to switch up the, the game plan. I believe that that must have come after um, the signing of that document because it was very soon after that grand final from memory. Um, people can correct me if I'm wrong there. So based on the decision, they thought he... He'd gotten them, he'd, he'd taken what Roos had done, he added more attacking flair. The game game style was perfectly suited to our players. Our players were improving and really enjoying it. What I don't like is that, as you said, players love him. Being an ex-coach, I don't want players to just love me. I want respect and I, I want to be the leader. It's like a parent. You, if you just want people to like you, that's easy, but if you want them to respect you and they want them to play for you, and I said, he said that they play for him, but I, I don't agree with that because otherwise they'd be playing full 100% every, every time and they'd get, be 100% across his game plan, which they clearly did not. Mm-hmm. Um, going to the other points you were talking about, so yeah, membership's down 22.6%, gate receipts um, is an issue, and sponsorships, sponsorships that we signed um, and the guys we have right now were based around that 2018. We've had that promise that, yes, we're going to rebuild and, and bounce back. I would argue that we're in a very um, interesting position and that the board is really interested in this because they want to build up our war chest to 
help us fund our home base. And it was very clear on that. Um, although they're using some of that to get us through this period and be unassisted, they need to build that back up in the next two to three years in time with us getting the new facility and paying for that. So they're looking at the membership, they're looking at their game receipts, so how many people go through the turnstiles and sponsorship. And you would argue that you need a significant lift in every single one of those. And as you were saying, what good is contract, let's put it at 1.4 million, for example, over two yeah. years. If you look at the numbers there, so let's say the average membership is 200, right? So we plug in 1.4 divided by 200, divided by two over two years, you're looking at 3,500 memberships per year over the next two years to, to pay that sort of money. <laughs> we lost three times that this year in memberships because we weren't playing up to our level. I guess the board has to look at what will get people back supporting our club, going to mm -hmm. games, what will get our team playing the best possible football to get even bigger crowds, including the opposition, and what playing finals which gives us even more gate receipts, and yeah. what will get sponsors excited. And, yeah, that's where the questions have to really start start coming mm -hmm. through. And I think we, we might touch on Choco Williams. You want to mention the interview that he had? Yeah. Yeah, I'll uh, launch into that. And basically, what uh, came from that was that Mark Williams, a premiership coach, Port Adelaide, um, had a successful winning percentage in his time as a head coach in the AFL. He uh, identified the, the Melbourne playing list as one of the most talented in the competition. And this was, um, I believe, in 2018. Um, at that time, he approached Simon Goodwin and and pretty much said that. I, I see your list as a very talented list that can go um, deep into to finals time and time again and more or less asked if he could be a coach or be involved with this uh, great young list of players. And um, Goodwin respect, respectfully uh, turned went it ahead, down. Went ahead to sign Max Rook and uh, Matt Eden in our development squad. So whereas Choco Williams became the head coach of... Uh, where we, I believe, where he's yeah. uh, where he got uh, the rising star Riccardi um, from GWS referenced uh, Choco Williams wow. and said yeah. it was because of Choco that I'm here and I dedicate wow. this to Choco, which is really interesting because you don't usually hear that. You usually hear that one of the development coaches in the AFL system got you there, but to say that he's the one who got him is really saying something. Well, yeah. says that the GWS. Um, Coaching squad isn't very good, but it also says Kachoko has done an amazing job. Exactly. And that's a great one with young Jake Riccardi. He looks like he'll be a star, but he's also, uh, Choco's been a, a mentor to, to Dusty Martin as well. So um, he's, a, he's a very good uh, football person, someone that you want around the club. And, he's, um, and a lot of the Richmond players reference him as the guy who turned their playing careers around. And, and a lot of... Yeah. A lot of the structure they have now where they have the old guys mentoring the younger guys, that's part of the stuff that he set up within their club, uh, which we would ideally want to be have within our club as well. Yeah, and I'll just uh, add on top of that, that Alistair Clarkson, who very rarely compliments uh, the opposition, 
or, or at least individual players, did so with our playing group. And we, when we arguably had our best and finest performance against his Hawks uh, a couple months ago now, it seems like it was years ago, but it was only a couple months ago when we were playing a very tight four-quarter uh, game of footy. I might mention he usually references coaching structures and that was absent during that conversation. It was all about how, how talented our players are and we're just a better team on the field. So that might have been a pot shot in reflection. He's a, he's a genius in what he says. But um, what you do notice about Clarkson is he his comments takes a lot of pressure off his team by these kind of weird comments that he keeps making. It's taking the, the media focus away from the players and putting it onto himself, which is really selfless and what you want your coach to be doing. So I know people have come out and said Clarkson's an idiot for some of the comments he's making, but because he's doing that, people aren't atta- directly attacking a lot of his players, which usually in this situation they would be, and these guys are champions of the game. And I think he feels for them and he doesn't want these guys to go out um, in that manner. And so he's really protecting them down to the the last game. So I really respect him for, for that. And I'm pretty confident um, based off what people have said who've met him that that's the type of guy he is. Yeah. And just to leverage off that, Stu, but I, I, I know last week we both were of the opinion that uh, after the horror loss to Sydney, if we were to lose um, back-to-back games to a second bottom four outfit um, or bottom six outfit in the in Fremantle, that it's more than likely that Goodwin um, won't be the coach. And a lot of other Melbourne supporters and stakeholders, for that matter, are of that opinion and are still of that opinion. I just wanted to say, make a couple points on that. Uh, it'll play itself out and what will be will be. But um, I, he didn't earn or win the coaching jobs like, like some other coaches. Um, he was handed it to him with that succession plan after Paul Ruse. It wasn't um, our first option, I might add. It was a backup of a backup. Yeah, so Stuart Drew was obviously out and that's well documented. But... I mean, this playing group has, however you want to slice it, has clearly regressed in the last two seasons. And I don't believe, unless there's drastic change in terms of game plan and just general stuff that takes place in in selection and game day, I don't think he can take this playing group forward. Um, We're not competitive consistently against well-coached opposition. And he's proven and demonstrated that he can't maximise individual talent for the benefit of the team. And that includes game day selection. But at the end of the day, and this is the sad part about it is, people are saying his career's on the line. And, and, and look, that's a part of the, the, the game is for there to be that sort of uh, risk of losing a job if your performance isn't up to scratch. But I'm looking at it on the other side, players' careers are also on the line. They could have their development stymied or stunted, or they could be lost and flushed out of the system altogether, traded or delisted. So when, when, when the window is so short for these elite athletes to perform at their best, it's such a narrow window that if it doesn't happen within a few years, it, it might not ever happen or their, their best will, will never be displayed. So I think that's the, the glaring issue uh, for, for me and I guess for other Invested, invested um, supporters alike. Brilliant comments. And that leads us to back to the, the Pert article. Um, he was basically referencing the only two things. Now that we've got health, 
um, we've got a strong list, which they clearly show that they rate the list um, internally, uh, maybe not good here anymore because his job's on the line. But if they bring in Stephen May, you bring in Lever, um, you make free agent acquisitions like they have, um, get in Langdon, you get Tomlinson, you get all these moves are not made for a team that's middle of the pack. That's their teams that think that they're cha um, challenging for finals. And for the board to come out and saying we should be making the finals and challenging every single year, including this year, that says what the expectations should have been and should be. And I guess within his interview, he was referencing it's either, reading between the lines, it's either the playing list or it's goody. And so I guess what we're putting out there is all these different stakeholders both inside and outside the club are saying the list is great. Um, mm. it, it would suggest that it's the structure and it's the game handling that's at fault here. And that's why we're coming to the decision that it's good when, and I say good when in particular, I know Pert was reticent to say it's any individual, but because they cleaned out all the assistants last year and put mm. in a fresh batch, you basically put a big bullseye on him because he's the only one left standing. If he's the only one left standing in Marnie, then um, that puts it, the owners back on them. And I know in retrospect is you're all smarter, but it looked like we should have done an external review last year instead of having an internal review and Marnie to, uh, in, uh, reviewing his own football department uh, because we probably would have seen that it was a lot more, as Jennings was, was pointing out, it was a lot more than just injuries last year. That was the factor and that's yeah. come and we've basically lost a year this year because we didn't do that um, review in retrospect so i hope to your point i would want pert to take note of that and, and take reins of that and see that there's mm -hmm. significant issues within the football department and that need to be resolved very very quickly and to his point get the best person at every position and that starts now with the football department um and it sounds like with membership because i hear people aren't getting responses from membership in a timely manner. So, but switch your membership person around. Um, we might go into our preview with the GWS Giants. Sure. Let's do it. So, uh, coming off a disappointing loss, similar to us, they're also up and down. If it wasn't for them being an assisted coach, I, th I think you might have seen that they would have sacked their coach. But I think because being an assisting club, I think their hands are pretty much tied because it would require a pretty big clean out and a reshuffling of all the coaching um, staff that they have. And I'm not sure they have, the Alpha has the funds to support all that. So that might've twisted their arm to hold on to him. And it, again, it's similar thing where they made the grand final, but their game plan hasn't changed in a long time. And they've really been found wanting this year. So going through some of the stats, they're a high, and some of these will really concern people. So they're a high mark team. So they right. get the ball on the outside, a lot of kicks, short kicks, high tackle team. Yeah. Um, warning bells are in my, my head and a top five clearance team. So in terms of the, in terms of the three things that have undone us against um, the Swans, against Fremantle, um, against the Bulldogs, they basically have... Exactly our nemesis of game style is, is this, thoughts? Yeah, um, I guess 
we're mathematically still a chance, Stu, but I'm trying to get my head around it, hence why I, I, I was hesitant. Um, look, should we win the next two games, we still mathematically could make finals. Uh, obviously, we need results to fall our way, but... Um, I'm going to go through that. So, basically, banking on probably Collingwood not beating Gold Coast this week and all possible... And or Bulldog, uh, Bulldogs, they but they're fun. They're both easy competition in retrospect. So, mm. based on how they're playing and how they played against oh, West Coast yeah. Eagles, I wouldn't bank on that. So you're looking at Collingwood falling out and beating, winning the next two games, most likely. Yeah. Look, look. You, if you rely on other teams to the need to win for you to make the eight, you, you probably don't deserve to make it. But I think you've highlighted a few strengths uh, of the Giants. And I think the, the, the way opposition teams have sliced us up uh, with pinpoint uh, precision kicking and uncontested possessions, I think there's not many, not many teams better than the Giants when it comes to, to neat foot skill. So we could be in trouble. And once the ball gets inside 50, I have concerns... Um, uh, for players like Cameron, uh, Finlayson, uh, Himmelberg and Riccardi, all tall, strong marking forwards. So our uh, defenders could have their hands full. Where are we playing them, Struber? Great question. At the Gabba. Okay. So it could get quite dewy there. Uh, even it's in, a night game, uh, so um, 7.40. Sure. Yeah, I don't have any confidence that, that we can win this game, but something tells me that they're just going to get it together and, and, and ruin the Giants' season. <laughs> Really? through them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not confident, but I think they might just do something silly. And, and, and as you said, the Giants have been playing pretty poorly and have perhaps gone under the radar themselves because they're a, they're a team that should not be uh, relying on results. And now it seems as though they need to rely on results or do they just need to win? Regardless, they should not be a team that's fighting for a the eighth and final spot. Um, they're a talented list, so they're a bit like us. They've they've significantly underachieved this season. In saying that, I I can't go in this saying that we're going to win just be, just because the teams that play this game style have beaten us every single time. They just lost against Adelaide um, by twelve points. It wasn't really reflective of the game because I thought Adelaide should have won by a lot more if they were a bit more clinical, mm. but young team. Another sign of a young coach who's been able to implement his plan um, mm. without having any training, um, effective training across the team, which is really impressive. So him and uh, Longmire deserve a lot of plaudits for what they've done this season. Um, and then, and, uh, yeah, sorry, go And ahead. the harms of Brayshaw come back into the lineup, Stu? Are they They're expected out. to be injury? Okay. I believe uh, we might have jumped the gun. Harms is maybe the one that might come back, but I thought Brayshaw was a few weeks. Ah, okay. Yeah, cool. So, we're not going to have too too many uh, good plays to come back then, uh, this week then. For the love of God, bring Benel in. Yeah. (laughs) Good hope so. A guy that uh, is one of those guys that could actually exercise uh, the game plan that that he's wanting, so... And can we give, and I might get shut down, but, is it, but can we bring Tom McDonald back in? If you're going to play a game where you want to have better, better like help players who aren't very highly skilled, you need a guy who's running up and down the field in the Nick Rewalt role. Can you just get him back in that role and get him running up and down the ground as he's accustomed to doing and 
if you do that, then it's an easy option for your players to kick to and you're not relying on having superstar skills to get it to him. Yeah, I think that's got his way of making a statement by playing Brown and playing Proust as a key forward, saying to Tom that if that uh, if I have it my way, we're going to be putting you on the trade table. That's how I'm interpreting it. There's no other way. Well, um, can't you do what Fremantle's doing with Hogan and play him? No, and Batman. Oh, no, I, I agree with you, but I don't, I don't think Goody sees that. I don't think Goody sees him in the best 22 for some reason. He'd be the only coach who would play and not play a player out of spite, I think. <laughs> anyway, um, the one thing I'll leave everyone with, and I, w- I wanted to leave this till last to give people a little bit of positivity. So I want people to go back a month or so, which is a bit hard with all the tough performances, but after the Port Adelaide loss, I want people to remember Tom Morris came out with a report on the um, on the couch. There we go. On the couch, yeah, yeah. On the couch, he came out and said after the Port Adelaide game that firing Goodwin was was a possible option and had been put on the table. The club was willing to take the, take the financial hit. They were in a position to be able to do that um, this year and have that as an option. Um, that was after the Guadalupe game. That's the only time we've heard from anything from the inner sanctum that's been reported. So I take a lot of confidence that that was something that was on the cards then and I think would be even more on the cards now. Um, and the fact that if you make uh, coaches redundant or kind of remove them from your list, there's an extra 3.5 million that AFL has put out to clubs to take away contracts that they're getting rid of for the next few years. And so ah, right. it, that little, those two little nuggets are really important when you're thinking about the future of the club So and uh, who's going to be in it. So all the guys who read the Gary Perk comments need to take everything that the club comes out and it seems like there's been a lot of consistency that they've said finals is what we expect we're not guaranteeing that he's the man forward if he's not delivering results as we saw with yep. the Puerto game if we don't see our team playing in a manner where and I think even the president um, Bartlett was saying we need to be able to have consistency have a, a style that people can sit down and know how we're going to play. It's all been very, very consistent all year. And I don't think Pert's comments in the debrief were anything other than that, other than he now knows that there's a lot more pressure on Goodwin now than there was at that time. And so he had to use his words very, very carefully. And I, I want all of our listeners to just take heart that everything that they've said to date has been very consistent. And the only thing that he came out in that interview to say was that he currently is the head of our team and that's the only thing he could say and that the players like him. That's, that's what I want people to take away from that. Well done, Stuber. So there is light at the end of the tunnel and depending on how the next two games go, we'll um, go through those options of what could, be, what could be those changes as we get more information. But we don't want to... We wanted to just get people in the space that it's not all dark. There is light at the end of the tunnel, so... Hold in there, D's fans. Sure, both our hearts uh, beat uh, red and blue. So, yeah, well, we're, we're all in this together. Awesome message. Take care, everyone. Don't, don't be too sad. Think of all the options and possibilities and just think if we had a, if we had a, a team together in a coaching box who, was develop, who want to be there to develop our young players as well as play the game style that they're meant to play and release the shackles, as it were, um, 
we'll get some bloody exciting football back in. So looking forward to that. Yeah. Rightio. Been another episode of TC Outsiders. Take care. Go days.